Hi team, this is Robert. I'm the host of New Problems and this is what we call here a first pancake. And a first pancake is just doing the thing you know is going to fail just because that's the only way you're going to get the full breakfast that you deserve. So I hope you are filling your plate with strawberries and bananas and the most authentic Ontario maple syrup you can find because first pancakes are best when you can't actually taste or see them. So I'm really lucky to be doing this podcast with one of my really favorite people that I have so much respect for. And I think this conversation gets into really the heart of so much of what we think about. I um, just finding peace, mindfulness, uh, thinking I'm the funniest guy in the room. And Tim being so handsome, he can listen with real intention and say just those things that just make an impact so together it's a really special half hour and i'm grateful to share it with you and this is a really special first pancake edition of new problems the spiritual gift of encouragement tim i was thinking about something today um and i don't want to get too personal how many people in your life have you said I love you to? Are we including like blood-related family members? No, not not. Take out all the times you said Robert, I love you. Take out all those times. I'm not <laughs> talking about. I'm not talking about me. Uh, three. Okay. After the first, that's a beautiful number. That's talk about saving your emotional soul for marriage. I love that, by the way, <laughs> and I love that for you, and I love that for Brittany. Um, when you say I love you for the first time, do you ever think that you're going to be able to fall in love again? Mm, like when you say it, yeah, when you say it, it feels pretty final. It feels pretty final. If that's a like naive way of, of approaching it. But I think that that's kind of like the first time you say it, it has to be like a, you know, I'm willing to sound naive and, and pretend like this could probably last forever. Yeah. You were back in the sixth grade. Mm. Little Megan was like begging you to pick her for your basketball team. And you were just so <laughs> ahead of the curve in middle school gender dynamics. You're like, okay, Megan. And she just <laughs> first few jump shots. I thought we were talking about you. What happened? You're yeah, talking about me. Okay, so the point is, here's, a, here's what I'm dealing with right now. I was in love with my church, which no longer exists. And I don't want to get any more personal than that because it doesn't exist is, it's, it's, it's like a feeling that on the podcast On Being um, with the great Krista Tippett, Minnesota's Finest, um, she talks about these ambiguous losses. An ambiguous loss in this kind of branch of psychology is, let's say you had a child run away from home and you never saw them again. Mm. You don't know 
if they'll ever return, if you'll ever run into them, if they'll ever get any information about where they are. So hypothetically, they're not fully gone. Right. There is zero closure. When I look at something and say, oh, my church does not exist, I am now living the grief of the ambiguous loss because it's, why does it feel this way? And will it ever come back? And it's very difficult because when you love something for the first time, I'm 28 years old and I fell in love with a religious organization, Tim. And now I'm here in pandemic summer watching YouTube videos where everybody is basically singing the same four effing songs. It feels like, wow, am I ever going to love again, Tim? So when you try these new churches, is it the same? Like you have to take a dive? Here's what's interesting. Or is it like a first date? See, here's what's interesting. Generally speaking, when your heart is broken, you feel like you can mix up your mix a little bit. Like you're able to, wow, I was in love with, totally blanking on the woman's name that I'm trying to say. I'm totally in love with Carrie Underwood. Okay, fine. I'm just going to mix it up and start dating Halsey. (laughs) Halsey. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) Unfortunately, and you'll know this, organized religion is successful because it advocates sameness. Yeah. And so... Every church basically aspires to be Carrie Underwood, except some of them are actually Carrie Underwood, and some of them are basically just Megan from the seventh grade you were playing basketball with. (laughs) And to go from Carrie to just look up stream after stream of Megan, Tim, what's your, what's your, what's your, what's, what's my next best step? for choosing a church. This is such an interesting uh, person to ask about this. Um, That's n- no, it's not you because, and I know this about you and see Tim, I love ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you something about Tim. See Tim doesn't know, he knows that I know this. Tim is a student of religion and philosophy. True not true. True. In a- did you not spend week after week going to random churches and religious organizations? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. When, tell, 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 tell us about this process. Okay. So it was a project I took like just by myself in college uh, where I, yeah, like you said, I went to not only Christian religious services, but Jewish and Muslim and Hindu and uh, Baha'i. Wow. And uh, all types of religious services and then wrote about the experience without much regard for whether or not I would hurt feelings when I did that, (laughs) I'll say. Uh, But I think with an eye for like, you know, my, um, my breakdown of attending uh, a mosque in white Fort Collins was definitely going to be more, um, how does this fit within the societal context than visiting a, an assemblies of God service where 
I got called out for not bowing my head when I prayed. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I went to, uh, all of these different services and just, uh, kind of wrote what I felt and shared it and ended up getting invited to a lot more services because, uh, a lot of times people thought that they could convince me that their service was the right way. But I also enjoyed like attending and seeing what different religions practice on Sunday or Saturday or whatever it was. So yeah, I have, I have done this first, uh, church thing more than you have. <laughs> you have done this way more than I have. Thank you for sharing that. Tim, um, I think the only natural follow-up question is what is the right religion? <laughs> uh, it's Baha'i actually. Of course. Of course. Okay. So why is Baha'i the, the right religion? <laughs> Cause I met him. I met, uh, the representative from the local chapter in a coffee shop because there was no uh, building to speak of uh, and just broke down what he believed and had a coffee and went on our separate ways. And that to me is as close to religion as I'll probably ever get again. And he never, see, now here's the thing. Did he ever contact you again? No. See, that's why that's the right religion. Because when you have your truth and you just like sprinkle it over someone, you just got to let the seeds grow on their own. He didn't need to be the farmer, grower, harvester, and the Walmart truck guy selling it around the country. Right. We like that about that guy. Right. I got we a lot like, of We like the light of truth over a cold brew, and that's it. Um. So, but I imagine that going to new church services, and I listened to the episode uh, your, of your podcast about YouTube church, but I, yes. I imagine that like trying a new service is half of it is meeting the people who are there at least. And you're not doing any of that right now. You're not doing any of that right now, Tim. And it's, when I, I think we became friends when I, maybe I was wrong about this. I felt like a pretty secular person in the sense that I don't feel like I was, obviously I, I promoted it like a secular society, which I still do, but I don't think I was like angry about religion. I don't think I was like hate watching Right. Bill song. Like, I, I just feel like it really wasn't on my radar. Right. And I, it just wasn't a part of the way I thought, the way I thought about things. Um, I wasn't going on like ex Christian message boards on Reddit. Like, <laughs> I think, you know, our years together, I thought were actually some of the most amazing years of my life. Glory to his name. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's interesting. So I would say now, I literally found a church that I have had my heart broken by just because I Google map church. It was the closest one to my house. They had fantastic coffee. It's not a church where everyone wanted to be like super friendly. So you could just walk in and walk out with your coffee. That was my life for a year there. Right. Those kind of reps now that in one of the kind of consequences I realized when I joined the quote unquote Christian faith is that you realize that you are now open to the whole 2000 year archive of Christian thinking and practice. Mm. 
And when you open yourself up to 2,000 years of Christian practice, thinking, liturgy, philosophy, it's a little overwhelming, number one, but you also get opinions about where people are coming from really quickly because certain grooves get worn in to the future of Christianity. And the grooves that we've rode into the road are, you can be Mike Pence, you can be younger Mike Pence with skinny jeans, <laughs> or you can be Reverend Barber in North Carolina, right. who is like a massive leader of the moral movement for social justice in 2020 who I think we both have a lot of admiration for. Yeah. Um, so what I say is there was a time when I came in so naively without an agenda about how things were supposed to be. And now my agenda is so high. How I'm evaluating you is so high. If I think that the guy had like one twinge of inauthenticness, I'm done. I'm done. It's, it, I feel like even just saying this, maybe Tim, my heart just isn't open for something new. And I need to embrace Sunday mornings at the church of Prospect Park with my friends, the sparrow, the woodpecker. Hey, there you go. And the red winged blackbird. So, you know, the metaphor, I, I think that makes sense for what you're talking about is you are like fluent in a new language at this point. You're not mm. a native speaker, but you're fluent in the language and you're noticing the accents of all of these people who are speaking the language, like just they're speaking the same language, but they're off by a note. And that probably gets in your ear and bugs you. I love that. And I love that because, especially now that everyone is online, the churches that, uh, let me take two steps backward. When all this started at Shelter in Place, there is more than just one minister that looked at those quote unquote metrics, the same way you look at metrics for your advertising and marketing campaigns, and you know which ones are kind of landing and which ones aren't. Certain people looked at those metrics and said, whoa, 450 people looked at our stream and I only seat 100 people at my capacity sanctuary. Mm -hmm. That felt like an open door. Yeah. And unfortunately, that open door was absolutely a mirage. Because if, and you know this, if you do not know who those 450 people are, that number is not a number you can actualize in any meaningful follow-up. Yeah. And so we have people who are not trained <laughs> to look at that number in a healthy, actualizing way that have then ramped up this kind of, we are going to be this live streaming online service apparatus. But after six months of your congregation, living and stewing in social distance inertia and isolation, right. the That's disconnect is unbelievable. 
the, the disconnect between the product and the needs is so wide right now. Yeah. And I don't know the path forward to say, wow, you guys haven't been hugged in 10 months. Maybe I didn't need to buy the smoke machine behind the stage. <laughs> Well, I have not um, attended any services since COVID, so I'm not sure what it's like, but it sounds tough. You know, I, um, I don't think I realized, I'm going to move on because we were talking about way too much religion right now. Um, <laughs> I don't think I realized how anchored my sort of motivational impulse was locked into the people I formed a spiritual connection with. And that gone is very much the fish floundering on the ground without its head. I'm the floundering fish. So, Okay, that's so great. Thank you for letting me get that off my chest. That's very, that's very, that's very, let's, we need to talk about something way nicer. Tim, take your hat off so I can see um, your haircut from non-professionals. Um, Tim, when you think about, when you look at yourself in the mirror, what are you admiring most often? Oh my God. What kind of question is that? That's an honest one. Just an honest one. Just an honest one. Uh, you know, I mean, I am pretty proud of my hair. That's it. That's all I'm getting at. I didn't do anything to uh, to earn this, but <laughs> and uh, doesn't seem to be going anywhere. Aren't those the best kind of gifts, though? <laughs> the gifts that we don't earn. That's that's what we call favor, Tim. We don't apologize for favor on this podcast. <laughs> like literally, your hair is going to get a whole episode of this podcast because it's vital. It's vital to understand favor. But guess, guess, guess what? Do, do do you when you walk out the house? Do you wear a hat? Sometimes, yeah. But that's apologizing for favor. <laughs> it's Wearing a hat is apologizing for favor. No, it's it's uh, embracing laziness. Okay, fine. Um, <laughs> Tim, who's cutting your hair, Tim? I mean, th- this is when you put this on the list of things to talk about. I was like, I can't think of who I I've cut my own hair. And I'm very non-professional. I honestly forgot that I put this. I was like, Tim, this does. I I can't think of a thing that relates to me less, but I know Mm. it's important to white gentlemen um, (laughs) to have these rituals. That um. Well, but you know, I'm like not a person who is uh, like dedicated to a single barber shop or anything like that. So I, yeah, I did forget that I put this on the list, but it does fall in the category of first pancakes, so we can talk about it. Who's cutting uh, your hair? Um, Zoe, my wife's boss at the ballet company, has some clippers. Her wife has a very similar haircut to mine, so she's got a little bit of experience. And, uh, you know, we shaved up the back of my head the last time, like pretty high, but it grows back. And, uh, and we're just getting used to that. Now, I'm guessing this was not Zoe's wife's first pancake, meaning she has cut other, she must have had some sort of confidence. No, it's Zoe she, who's doing her wife's haircutting. So yes, she has 
the experience of cutting her wife's hair during quarantine and now mine. So she oh, that's not nearly hair. enough. Oh no, that's not nearly. <laughs> I I thought I thought that Zoe was the um, I thought Zoe was like the campus barber back no. in the day. No, you know I watch I watch um Dear White People, so I'm all about the campus barber. That's <laughs> those are the moments I missed going to Elon University. <laughs> Um, Tim, I think you look, I think you look fantastic, Tim. You know, I think, I think that your Zooms, even though now, ladies and gentlemen, this is also important to know about Tim. He has just assumed um, a senior leadership role at his university. That's true. No, we don't say, we say, we say, yes, and we don't apologize for favor in this house. That should have made me this a year ago or two years ago. You know, we don't, right, right, right. we yes. don't apologize for favor. Um. Tim, do you think, what is your um, lead, senior leadership at the university wardrobe persona like? This. When you're... What I'm wearing right now, which is a t-shirt from a conference. What? Right? I wear my hat a few days a week. I am not trying to... No, are you to... being serious? Are you being serious? I'm being serious. I don't wear, like, button-down shirts unless I have to meet with somebody outside the organization. Everybody... No. So internally, you literally are just the kid listening to Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. Which is not doing anything for my, like, this guy looks like he is a student, not a staff member. A senior staff that, member. That I have to deal with. I get asked when I'm on campus all the time, are you looking for something? And that has not, what I'm dressing is not, like, improving that. But I don't really care. Tim, I literally, I think that this is actually, um, this is the universe putting this conversation together. Because even though I had no faith that this would be interesting to talk about, I'm really <laughs> receiving it. I'm really I'm receiving it because I was reading um, yesterday. There's an idea in the Hebrew Bible, which is people just look at the outside appearance and they don't want they can't recognize favor. So we look at you and we just think, look at this, you know, pack sun hat. And this little like Paxson T-shirt, in uh, your Chuck Taylors or whatever you call those shoes, people wear. They're not called Chuck Taylors. What are those called? Grossy. Let's get to the point. Point is, people are just trying to minimize you based on what they can see. Mm. They don't understand the favor on your life. And I will say, throughout our friendship, isn't it fair to say that I've always said, Tim, greater things are ahead for you in every aspect of your life. You have said that. If well, I become a mega church pastor, it's because I have been using all of my best lines on you, <laughs> and I saw it work on you. I said, "Wow, maybe I had this gift." <laughs> you know, do you do you have a beautiful wife? Yes or no? Yes. Do you have a great career? Yes or no? Yes. Do you have a bomb ass bike? Yes or no? <laughs> yes. So don't we call that greater things? I guess we do. Now, here's the, tr the mind trick. Why should we get into a headspace where we assume those things would stop? So if we understand what 30 years can bring, how old are you? Almost 30. Okay. If we, can, <laughs> if we can go through 30 years and this is what we have, doesn't it stand to reason that the next 30 would be even greater than these first 30? I would hope. That's, what, that's just what the math says. <laughs> That's just, that's just what the math says. So when we talk about, 
Oh, I love talking about favorite. Favorite, see, this is fun. This is fun for me. This is fun for me. This is fun for me. Because Tim, when we think of what's the what's the mayor's name of Minneapolis? <laughs> Jacob Fry. You can't look at Jacob Fry and not think, man, is he getting his hair cut by Zoe too? <laughs> poor Jacob. <laughs> what do you mean, poor Jacob? What do you mean, poor Jacob? Speaking of first pancakes, Jacob Fry's um last year has been filled with so many first pancakes. Yeah. Um, it, it stands to reason he might be really the future of democratic politics. Uh, yeah, the country's first pancake. No. How would you describe Jacob Fry's first year to people who have no idea what random person we're talking about? Uh, well, I think the best way to sum it up was um, after the killing of George Floyd, right? Minneapolis had the most protests and um, like unrest of anywhere in the country for a little bit. And Jacob Fry, who had campaigned on the promise to reduce funding to the police, uh, showed up at a massive rally and they gave him airtime to speak. And he got up on this platform and was talking to the group and was saying things that were generally agreeable and he was getting some praise for that. But the woman who was kind of leading the rally stopped him in his speech and said, will you commit to defunding the police? Right. Yes or no? She said, this is an easy question. Will you commit to defunding the police? And he has come knowing that like this is going to be a question like how do you not see this as this is what people are demanding of me and up in front of everybody refuses to commit to defunding the police and is promptly like the sea of people <laughs> divides like the red sea and they start <laughs> chanting uh jacob get out or something like that and he is just hangs his head in shame and walks through this crowd as people yell at him after he was like on the precipice of <laughs> like making the point and getting the applause that he wanted. So that's what his, his first year has been. So which, and yet I was not saying poor Jacob in a real way. <laughs> that guy deserves everything that he's got coming to him. Why do you say that? Oh, that's so fun. Why do you say that? Why do you say that? Because if you're going to campaign on this progressive platform of like, we have to rethink the police, this is the fourth major police killing in the Twin Cities since I've lived here, I think, right? Like clearly a problem. Um, and he was ushered in on this like progressive wave. Um, and yeah, if you're not gonna like, He's there to, to cater to what the people of Minneapolis like one of them. He's not doing it. So That was really well said. And I'm all about young people in positions of power. And I think it's unfortunate that all of the visions that Jacob had for his role as mayor, the wrong voices are in his head and he's completely forgotten. There's... I would almost, and I, I've, and I think we would agree with, we would agree. If you are running for mayor of Minneapolis, 
the motivation to do that is to defund the police. Right. That is actually the point of being interested in that job. Yeah. There's so little that he can actually affect. And I think that like in smaller ways, you and I have both probably run into things where you talk a big game and then when the time comes, you realize that in order to achieve that, you have to sacrifice a little something of yourself Mm. to follow through. And I think that's what happens in politics all the time is that you make promises without realizing that it actually is going to extract a little something from you to uphold them. And I think that's what. As Minnesota's most famous songstress, Lizzo, once said, why are Marys great until they have to be? (laughs) I love how you wound up to that being the line. I think Mayor Fry, when being mayor was about giving speeches to young brown kids about staying in school, maybe getting tickets to a Twins game for Diversity Week. I don't know. Point is, that's when, let me put it in a different context. George W. Bush before 9-11, when the biggest thing on his plate was talking about Elian Gonzalez playing as a 13-year-old in the Little League World Series. That was George W. Bush's highlights as president of the United States. But when the moment demanded, he start making some first pancakes that have global implications implications for the next 40 years of United States foreign policy, it was an issue. To say the least. <laughs> to say the least. To say the least, no, it was an issue. So um, the point of this whole thing was to say, Tim, shouldn't you be mayor of Minneapolis? That was not the point of this. Is that basically the point of this whole podcast? <laughs> it's just to get this spoken over you. Which is, Tim, we believe in greater things. Okay, okay, we're going to wrap this up. Last question. When you think about, when's your birthday, Tim? February 1st. You're, are you like an Aquarius? How many times do are we you have an Aqu- to- I, I promise you, Tim, I will always be two weeks before you. We're both Aquariuses? <laughs> yes. What? I, oh, man, I thought that. Did I even wish you a happy birthday this year? I don't think I would have known that. No, I think you did because then I shortly afterwards flew out, saw you, got COVID. Facts, 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 facts. Okay. Um, Tim, okay, so this is a little premature, but can we just put, can we just speak something into the air? Go for it. What's going to be, um, what will feel so surprising about your 30s that you can't even imagine being a reality for you? What will be so surprising about my 30s? Yes. I have no idea. I know you don't, but you just have to speak that out, though. (laughs) Like, let's say, can we say identical twins? Let's just say identical twins. Well, if we have identical twins, then I'm done with having kids. So then I guess we're set. No way I'm having more than two kids. But I will have kids in my 30s. Okay. Okay, we're speaking that out. I love that. Okay, but I want to go bolder. I want to go bolder than that. (laughs) 
You're going to start your own online um, college. My own online college? Yes. No. Fort Collins University. Ah. Like, are we talking a private college where I'm just... We're talking like DeVry. So I want to see your commercials when I'm watching Judge Judy. Right. I want the people who go to my college to be completely swindled. <laughs> we don't apologize for favoritism. 